campers. It's the Bitch Seed Podcast. I'm Lisa Mandel. I'm Phil Casal. And uh, here we are. Every time that, that music starts playing, it feels like I'm, I'm jumping into a cold pool, like in the best way. Do you feel like that? Yeah. The synthesizers, man. Like a nice pool, not a cold No, like pool. a really, like a cool uh, vacation pool when it's really hot outside. That's not, I, I could never, I just can't, cold pools, I, I can't jump in. What do you mean? What about, it's the summer, it's 95 degrees. It's still hot. It's still cold water. Because you're already, you already have hot body temperature. Uh, you already have a hot body and it's going into Thank the cold you. water. <laughs> and it's just still unpleasant. Hey, but you grew up with a pool, yeah, right? And I never an above went ground in pool. You and didn't, you didn't? I, maybe I would go in it in the beginning and I'd be like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go in here a little bit more. And then at the end of the summer, I'd be like, oh shit, I haven't gone in the pool yet. I have to jump in the pool more. Oh my God. If I had a pool behind my house, I would be in that every day until I was a raisin. You say that now, but talk to Jay Gatsby and he's another guy. I never got around to go using the pool as much. Oh, man. And we all know how that turned out. Yep. Water is a symbol for death. He died. He died, guys. He died in the pool. Sorry. Spoilers. The Great Gatsby spoilers. Sorry. And also, farewell to arms. They all die. Even the soul of the main character. He lives, but he walks in the rain without... Yeah, well, you know how Hemingway's life ended. With a... Yeah. Basically, if you're an artist... No, well, that's not the point of the show. Not, that's, that's not, not true. Let's, we, we can't, we can't we start can't. with that. Right, okay. Let's start with uh, volume yeah. two of yeah. Satin. So- <laughs> Say it with so much disdain. I know, I love it. I just, I, I love Satin one, because I'm, I'm partial to Dimitri. I know, well, Dimitri is the best, but we can't, we can't always. We can't always use Dimitri. Yeah. We got to use Satin or Satin too. I had sometimes. a lot of different Or the eras. Unplugged notebook. Yeah. I love Unplugged. <laughs> My nickname for it. I didn't. You didn't name it. It's so called I that now. It. Okay. Go anyway, ahead. for the listeners who are bored already, I'm so sorry. I uh, kind of make it seem like it's an exciting show. Like for the listeners who are so excited to hear what she had, what what little Lissa had to say. I can skip this part. I want to hear what you had to say. Fine. Friday, April nineteenth, nineteen ninety six. Oh shit. Dear Satin Two, I'm back. <laughs> <laughs> Though I'm weighed down with drowsiness and my head and heart are heavy with overwhelming depression, my soul pushed me to turn the key and write some thoughts. But this is a this is one of those diaries that has a little key, which like all diary keys are exactly the same. So they could probably open literally all the diaries. Um, and in fact, this diary was in one time we were on vacation in Maine, and my brother and one of his little friends, who he knew in Maine, read took my diary out of the drawer and read it when I was not there. Oh no. And after that, I was like, well, there's no point in having a key. So from then on, I only chose diaries that were plain notebooks that did not have keys. Because I was like, people are going to yeah. get up in this business anyway. Yeah, All right. Yeah. Um, Camouflage. So then I, then I go on to list a couple of my ESPs. I had a lot of ESP moments where like I would think of something and then it would happen to me. And then I was compelled to write it down and keep a record. But I'm not going to read that part because like someday I'll just read the whole list. But... Since I think of each entry in this diary as a piece of my past, a masterpiece within itself, I feel a need to elaborate. However, since I haven't written in a month, there is obviously too much to talk about that I could give details about. I shall have to choose just a few events. My dance recital is May 5th, merely two weeks away, and I can already see the school in my mind, can hear the clapping of the audience, can feel the passionate, exploding joy of performing echoing through my body and soul. God, it's just like as esoteric as humanly possible. It's great. I look forward to it and think about it every day. 
Seeing as school is slowly but surely drawing to a close, my anxiety is building. I did have a tough year, the toughest one yet, but as usual, I've again grown attached to my team. A third school family, Team 7-1. I've made some wonderful friends this year, peers as well as adults. To tell you the truth and to say the least, I am afraid. Afraid of the depression that will pain me more than anything on the last day of school. As it always does. I can't stop it from coming. It's like an inc incurable disease. It comes and goes as it pleases. But I can always count on that depression to come after every big event. It will come after the recital, and it will come on the final day of school. Oh, I hope that depression doesn't strike too hard. And what of Cashin? Of course, my crush of three years. Sorry, anybody who actually knew him uh, or knows him. Oh, I still like him. A lot, in fact. But what of next year? Will he be on my team? Or will I only see him with luck once or twice a day? I've fallen for him. Head over heels. However, his mother is a teacher in Guilford and probably has a knack for picking good teams. And of course, well, okay, this goes into a place where it doesn't even matter. So forget it. Uh... Uh, maybe Cashin and I do have a chance of being on the same team. Geez, I sure hope so. I would like to go on and on, but it's 11 p.m. Time to let sleep pick me up and carry me into a peaceful world. Pleasant dreams. Nice. Love LMM. <clears throat> well, you touched on something that we still go through, which is the depression after a very important time or event. Yeah, the, it's, the, the, it's cool the letdown. Down. It's the yeah. cool down. The letdown. I don't know if you had this in your in your school but for us whenever we would uh we would finish with like a big school musical or play everybody in the cast and crew would get sick the week after yeah because I they had always, been putting it off and putting it off yeah because the adrenaline ke like keeps it at bay yeah and then uh, afterward your whole body crashes and if you're me your whole emotional life also crashes yeah the worst is when they uh they don't immediately strike the set and so when the show's over and the stage is still a boat or <laughs> an awesome pyramid uh, you're you're still a little wistful about like the fun times you had. So we we had strike like on the last day of the show. <clears throat> like we couldn't proceed to the cast party until we had struck the whole That's stage. That's usually how it went, but so, for one reason or another, we never we didn't do it. On the well, last what show did you have a big pyramid as part of? Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor. Oh, of course. And uh, the boat as anything goes. Yeah. yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah, we had that too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who were you in Anything Goes? Featured Sailor number one. Oh, nice. But later on, I got to be Lord Evil in Oakley in a different production, which was so fun. I stabbed myself. I nearly stabbed myself to death by accident. With what? Uh, the sword. You know when he's uh, he's uh, posing with his sword in the mirror, and then like Reno Sweeney comes in and she tries to seduce him? That was a real sword. Um <laughs> And I was, what I was kind of school running. did you go to? This wasn't a school. This was like a summer theater benefit. Uh, oh, so this is like a school. few steps above, a few steps yeah. more fancy than public it was, school. It was after I'd been done with doing musicals. I'd done, I'd done them at the school and I was tired of doing that shit. So, and we, I was running over cables and like sandbags and shit like you do to get to your scene if you're late. And I had my sword <laughs> and I stabbed myself about an inch or two away from my ephemeral artery on my, on my femur. And because it's where your femoral artery is. <laughs> and uh, I just started bleeding on stage and just went, did the scene with blood just pouring down my leg and didn't even, it didn't Didn't hurt. acknowledge it. Didn't acknowledge it. I closed my room. Were you wearing like a, a I white? I was wearing all white. Yeah. Yeah. I was wearing all white. As you was, do on the sailor yep. play. And then uh, I had a, fortunately had a few scenes before I showed up again. So they like <laughs> carried me backstage and like wrapped tape and everything like they just wrapped my leg as hard as they could and they were like all right you're good to go go back in but was your were your pants still covered in blood 
No, because I wasn't wearing pants. I was like wearing underwear. I was wearing uh, pajamas. Oh, right. And right. I never had to wear those again because it was also the last show of the run. All right. So, so you're like, you know, all bets are off. Anything goes. I'm just going to bleed, vomit, shit all over this yeah. costume. No one's going to see it again. Anything you goes. You claimed it you're, as yours. Yeah. It's, yeah, anything goes. I played. Uh, <laughs> for every time that I said that. Um, um, you played an angel? I was one of the angel, run of Reno's angels, uh, virtue, <laughs> the easy kind. Yes. I was the, I was the tagline angel. I was really proud of it. Cause I was a freshman. So that was a big deal. That, that was, cast. if you were an angel and you were a freshman, you were, you cause, I, cause I could tap career. dance. Tap dancing was my thing. So, uh, so I got to show off a little bit. It felt pretty good. Awesome. Awesome. Um, we have a guest. We do have a guest and he's sitting here very patiently waiting and he's brought in a number of artifacts. Uh, he actually is like the the godfather of all podcasting he's been podcasting long before we have his podcast is called dennis has a podcast and his name is dennis holden nice yeah there's a long lot, lot of vamping in this song you know how to pick them. Where is it? It's it's good right here. No, nope. no, that's <laughs> this is it. No, it's not. No, I'm just guessing at this point. I'm hoping. There, there it is. All right. Hi, Dennis. How's it going? Good. How are you? Good. Did you know? I don't know if this is why you picked this song. But Steven Tyler, also from Yonkers, New York. I did not know that. Oh, shit. Yeah. That, was, that was just a good guess. There you go. Just a good guess. We so, know how to do this. I know. Because <laughs> I'm having these ESPs. It's from all the ESPs I wrote down growing up. Did you guys ever experience that where you like... Extremely suppressive person? <laughs> no, we will not talk about Scientology on this podcast. Um, I, no, where I, I would like, I would be thinking about a song, it would just pop into my head, and then I'd turn on the radio and it was on. Like, this happened a number of times. Did you guys? Well, when you were talking about it before, I, when I was a kid, uh, I lived with my mother and my grandmother, and I just remember, like, thinking about what would happen the next day. And then it would, it would happen. Like, in my dream, I would dream about what would happen oh, the next man. day. Yeah. And I, don't, I didn't record it at all. I wish I did. Which goes for a lot of different things. Yeah. Um, but yeah, when you were t- talking about that, I'm like, yes, I experience that all the time. So, do you still experience that now as a grown up? Here's how I experience it. Um, I'm, I don't believe in God necessarily or religion or anything like that. What I do believe in is the Muzak in CVS or wherever you are. <laughs> and if it's John Mayer, it's usually John Mayer, sometimes Billy Joel. But if John Mayer's playing... I almost chose a Billy Joel song. Well, that's cool. Yeah. Billy Joel's the best. Yeah. Um, so I, after um, last year, I did my first show, show, show at Astoria Coffee. We did uh, mm-hmm. the third anniversary show for my podcast. And after that show, uh, I was leaving and I went to somewhere. I think it might have been seven, whatever, wherever, to get some, some Gatorade. And I walk in, and John Mayer's playing. And I'm like, holy crap. That's a sign from my father or someone who's passed to say, you know what? You did it. You did the right thing. Um, and that, was, that meant the world to me. Mm-hmm. Because like you said, you know, whenever you do something, you wake up the next morning, blank slate. And that's a terrifying thing. Because you, you, the thing you've been prepping for, the thing you've been working for, mm-hmm. it's over. Mm-hmm. You got to do the next thing. Yeah, you have to start. And I mean, especially for people who are in like the business uh you don't really 
I mean, you work your way up the ranks eventually, but it's a way long, slow burn. And like after every single project, you're back to square one. You start a new project. It's not like you work on the same project your whole life or like you work your way up in a company, you know, and become a manager and then a vice president and whatever, you know. So starting from the, from scratch is hard. It's not. Uh, everyone thinks it's a linear climb. It's not. It's definitely it's peaks not and valleys. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So you grew up in Yonkers. So I grew up in a, Yonkers. A New yeah. Yorker forever. Yes. And uh, was your experience a good experience? I mean, assuming because you're still here in New York, you didn't flee. Yeah, I, I, I think if I wasn't from here, I don't think I ever would have came here. Really? Um, talking to people on my show, I do something similar, but not the same uh, with my show. But talking to people, trying to figure out a lot of the people are in New York, why you came here. People mm-hmm. come from all over. Um, I don't think I would have had the guts to come. You know what I mean? Like, I don't think I would have had the, the ability to do it. Um, I just I think me just being here uh, allowed me in my late 20s to actually pursue this because you know, I'm going through all my stuff and I'm like, when I was a kid, this, I wasn't a performer. I wasn't a anything really. I was into sports. Um, and then in my late twenties, it's something I always wanted to do. And then I did it. So, you know, I might've been doing it in Scranton, Pennsylvania or, you know, Walla Walla, Washington. Yeah, but you chose knows. to do it in a place that uh, has a pretty high visibility. I, I lucked out. I definitely lucked out. It's not luck at all, man. You have like 500 episodes? No, 440 plus as of this recording. That's incredible. Incredible staying power. It's a lot of work. Uh, Consistency, uh, which is a compliment that I've gotten that I didn't like at first, but now I really appreciate. Yeah. Um, Because it's tough. You know, you do four and a half years and trying to book people and put episodes out. And mine are always an hour, at least, usually. Mm Yeah. but I've been lucky. I've, I've gotten to talk to uh, the founder of the Groundlings. I've gotten to talk to radio legends. I had my favorite wrestler of all time on my show. Oh, yes. That's um, the thing that you two have in common. Yes. Chris Jericho. Chris right. Jericho. That's recent. That yeah. Guy. Congratulations. Yeah. On that. January. God, yeah. that flew, flew by. Yeah. I, I was nervous as hell, man, because, you know, going back to my high school yearbook, I, yeah. I don't know, you know, your process. No, you can go right into it. But in my high school yearbook and my quotes, we had, we had like a, a box. Yep. And my box, he did all the shout outs in the bottom. Notre Dame football, Jets, Knicks, Mets, Rangers, Chris Jericho. Oh, that's amazing. And America. And America. And an American flag, yes. I graduated in June 2002. So it was right after 9-11. So pro-America, yeah. man. That's, we're all for it. And uh, we'll, we'll post a, a photo of this page, if that's cool, on the, uh, the bitchcpodcast.com so that people can see. But like, your picture is kind of terrifying. Listen, I'm, I'm like a terrifying a, looking guy. No, but it's very serious and like very dark eyebrows and not really smiling. Just no. kind of like, I am going to sell you a house and you're yeah. going to enjoy it. That's yearbook photos, though. That's the nature of no them. No way, man. They're, I always smiled in my yearbook photos. I'm not going to lie. People are smiling here. Everyone, everyone else is smiling. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah. They don't look that way. In the, they didn't look that way before and they won't look that way after, whether they're smiling or not. Were you a serious kid? Um, in my... Uh, adolescence absolutely and what why why do you think that was were you why do you think that was depression absolutely depression when did that start for you how old were you um probably 12 Mm -hmm. um i talked about it on my show a bunch so my father uh passed away of huntington's disease and if you don't know what huntington's disease is it's similar to parkinson's uh it's a neurological disease Mm -hmm. um i found out at 12 years old that's kind of what my father had and I found out that's when I had a 50-50 chance of getting it. Right. Um, and at birth. So I either got my father's gene or my mother's right, gene. Right, right. 
So at 12, I found out I could have it. So from 12 until I was almost 19, I found out that I did not have it on May, uh, excuse me, March 5th, 2003. Remember that day for the rest of my life. So for, you know, over 13 years, I know I don't have it. But for six, seven years, I didn't know. Right. And a lot of people don't want to know because right. there's not a lot they, 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 that they can do. do. Um, but for me, I needed to know. Right, of course. Um, so for my entire adolescence, I never thought I'd see 30. Like I never did. Now I'm going to be 32 or I'm 32 when we uh, air this. Um, so yeah, that's something that really messed me up in my adolescence. Mm -hmm. So major depression. Um, yeah, so I was definitely very serious. Um, but then I was also, I, I was nominated for, or I won most original as my solar nice. superlative. Sure. But I see, because I was weird as hell. <laughs> so I think that's why that happened too. I, well, because you had this window into something much more um, solemn and somber than, than most kids are having to deal with. So in a way, you, you like were on the fast track to adulthood, whether you wanted to be or not, because you had to think about your future and, and your your own death in the future, you know, like at a younger age than many people do. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I was going through things that, you know, not many other adults have to deal with it. You know, right. I mean, one of the greatest things I ever read or saw or whatever, like Michael J. Fox recounts a story um, that, you know, it's, I think it's an old fable that essentially says, you know, God puts everyone around a table and everyone one by one takes out their backpack and dumps their table, their, their problems on the table. And one by one, everyone explains it. And you could take anyone else's problems for your own at the end and everyone takes their own problems back. Huh. So now I have that perspective. People see me as a positive person, a yep. funny person, uh, which I think I am most of the time. But as an as a, uh, adolescent, as a teenager, man, I did not see the world that way. Wow. So let's. So then let's talk about what did bring you joy in the moment, which is clearly sports. Yeah. Um, and you've brought in actually a number of amazing artifacts. I, I would love for you to, to tell... Uh, the listeners about this one that you made, I assume. So this is a paper mache Mets hat. It's amazing. Which is probably from like middle school, I want to say. Um, I, God bless my mother for holding on so many different oh, things. Oh, it's incredible. Uh, you can see the Major League Baseball logo on the back with the amazing detail Sweet that I have logo. on it. Um, so yeah, so this is something that was still in my mother's basement and I thought would be different and fun. And yeah, so definitely the Mets have always been a part of my life. Um, and yeah. the underdogs, is that why you liked them so much? No, I don't think I had a choice. Um, yeah, no, my father, my, my uncles, my stepfather, um, they, um, they all were big Mets fans. So, I mean, I fell in love with, an, I fell in love with them at an early age. I, um, I definitely come from a, a family divided because, you know, my family is for the most part from from New York City, a lot of them from Queens, and there were definitely some Mets fans and there were some Yankees fans within the same household. Which yeah. Which gets a little bit rough. I was lucky. I don't think I had too much of that. Good, good, yeah. good. I didn't really... Uh, the only... My father uh, was and still is to this day, will not give hope on the Chicago Bears despite never being from <laughs> Chicago. Um, or actually probably never even going to Chicago. <laughs> and when I worked at my grandfather's store... His best friend was from Boston, so it was it was just violent arguments about the Yankees and the and the Red Sox by like seventy year old men with gravelly voices, just mm -hmm. yelling names. And I was never really I'm not a sports guy, but I I only just heard names thrown out like cocksucker, like right, like just really just throwing the teammates fuck ups in each other's faces. That's all I got. And my uh, one of my best friends was a Yankees fan, and if they ever lost, he would like hide. 
He wouldn't go outside. And my other friend was a Boston Red Sox fan. and See, that surprises me because you're from New Jersey. Yeah. Yeah, so like, I feel like that's mostly not Red Sox territory. Yeah, well, Mike Paravati, that's his name, and he wears a Boston cap. Uh, He's great. He's a teacher now. Great guy. Great guy. Wonderful guy. Um, he <laughs> Just keep adding superlatives on top of that. He would get so much adversity wherever he went until he'd meet a Boston fan, and the Boston fan would take it to another level and like give him a hug, and he'd be like, uh, uh, "Okay, okay, uh, sure." Was he wearing a Red Sox cap around all the time? Oh, see, all the time. so you're just asking to get he hit is. in the face. But then when he'd go to Boston and be like, "I'm from New York," they'd be like, "Hey, welcome!" Like that. He always had that to go back to because if you wear a Yankees cap in Boston someone's gonna fucking slap it off yes, your head yes that's what I'm talking about <laughs> well that's what it took me in adulthood to find like a Mets fan community like from New York uh, I went to high school from 98 to 2002 mm-hmm. um, and the Yankees won four three World Series well, they were in the World Series every year during yeah. that run yeah uh, and then they won in 96 when I was in middle school so being a Mets fan I went to a really small high school there were public or private public mm-hmm. um, we really only uh, less, less than a handful less than six I think maybe three kids that were Mets fans, maybe a teacher wow. or two. So wearing a Mets hat, and I wore Mets jerseys all the time in high school, uh, wearing those blue and orange colors, like it was like being in the wrong city. Yeah. It, it was you like put a, in a target on your back. A major group thing going on. Yeah. But you did it anyway. Yeah. So would you were you a pretty um in spite of your being so serious, were you a pretty confident kid? Or were you a hider? Oh, I was definitely a hider. Yeah. Um, you know, now I'm six foot three, over three fifty, and I'm a big, scary looking hide. dude. You can't hide. But I remember being in high school, like you know, when I finally got, to, I was like five nine, and then I grew to six three. But when I was like five nine, I was in that awkward, you know, fourteen range. And my mother's a five foot two, five foot four, a little Italian lady, mm-hmm. and I used to try to hide behind her. I'm like, I don't want to talk to anybody. I don't want to deal with anybody. <laughs> like that was always my deal. And so this is the other thing too. This is like my mother. I'm like, hey, ma, I need something. So she has like all my stuff in my kindergarten, first grade, second grade third grade and she has this letter from when i finished kindergarten mm-hmm. um june 18th 1990 um, my kindergarten teacher loved me like she thought i was like a savant mm-hmm. um she put me in front of the piano she thought i could play piano because she could th- you no <laughs> <laughs> But, but like, she, she had faith in you. She had faith in me. She wanted me to skip grades and do all this other stuff. But like reading this letter, which I had never read before, like she wanted me to skip a grade. She wanted me to go to the gifted school in Yonkers, which they didn't take me because I was shy. Uh, but it's one of those things that's like, you know, I'm, I don't have a great memory of my childhood. I really don't. I think I repressed a lot of that stuff, which is a good thing because I, I think I needed to do yeah. that. But it's interesting to see uh, a teacher's opinion of me at six and see what I agree with and what I don't agree with. Well, it lines up with, years later. with your memory and, and like right. whether you thought of yourself in this way, too. Yeah, it was kind of crazy to read. So uh, when you read this, were you like, oh, that's a surprise. That's a surprise to me. Do you, did you think that you were coming across as a different way? And did you think you were like at what point in your in your youth? Do you think that other people's perception of you and your perception of yourself started to line up? 25? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. No, it took me once. All right. So Dennis has matured greatly in kindergarten. He was nervous and fretful and insecure. I'm still nervous and fretful and insecure. Um, although he is not verbal, which that has changed. Uh, he has accrued emotional maturity to match his outstanding mental abilities, which again, wow. I'm going to put that on my Twitter profile yep. or something like that. No, but yeah, so I, you know, I'm... Not as outwardly nervous and fretful and insecure, but I'm, it's definitely still there. Yeah. Um, it, it really took me, you know, into college to make friends. Like I had friends in school, but like not 
anything not, not more. people that you like really shared with. Yeah, exactly. So did you? So was your outlet for all? Because you have to be able to share your stuff somewhere. Like mm. it has to come out somewhere. So for you, how did it come out? If you weren't, if you weren't like performing or expressing yourself, did you just like physicalize your way through it in sports? Uh, when I was, you know, during the high school years, yeah. But then like. In my first few years of high school, I played sport. You know, I played sport. I played baseball. I played a year of football. Um, I played. I was on the golf team. Uh, so I definitely did that. Um, but I think a lot of it was just like fetal position, just get me through this. You know what I mean? Like I just, you know. Um, but that definitely, sports has been a big part of it. Watching, playing. Yeah, I mean, even now, I play baseball uh, in Astoria on Sundays because oh, you awesome. know, because I listen. My knees are shot. I can't run very well anymore. But you just need to do something. So that's what I do. What is it about? What is it about baseball? What is it about baseball specifically that you love that makes you feel at home? Uh, baseball is every day. It, it, they play 162 games in 181 days, mm-hmm. which is insanity. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, they play. They play every day. Um, it's a monotonous sport. It's a thinking person sport, even though there's a lot of you know physicality that goes along with it. Um, and there's highs and lows. The best team in the league is going to lose 50, 60 times a year. Mm-hmm. It's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, the worst team is going to win 60, 70 times a year, that, that, no matter what. It's, so it's a good lesson in zen, yeah. basically. There's good days and bad days, and no matter what, there's, a, there's the next day. I was like, the first time I ever did stand-up, um, I was, what, 27, 20, 27 or 28. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was not good, but it would have been a different experience if I never did it again. Right. Of course. Yeah. So it's one of those things that, you know, you fail, but it, te- it teaches you to fail. Mm-hmm. I think that's a really mm-hmm. important thing with baseball. The best hitters fail 70% of the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's something I didn't learn until I got older too, is that, you know, it's okay to not win. It's okay to not, um, it's, it's okay to fail because as a kid, I was really, really strong academically. And it got to the point where it's like, I don't care. Like, you know, I don't care if I lose, I lose. If I mess up, I mess up. And that's, you know how I go through. They still get nervous, but yeah, but that's that's amazing that you you get nervous and you and you move toward it anyway. You know. Yeah, I, I think it's a necessity now. That's, yeah. yeah. Well, tell me about. Uh, it's, this appears to be a bowling trophy. It's a bowling trophy. Well, which actually, my dad was a bowler and he was in um, a semi-professional league and he actually played. He actually bowled so much that, like, one side of his body it might be like his right knee and like his left hip or something that has to do with like the angle um, that is a little bit weaker because he was always a little bit lopsided from bowling all the time. Um, tell me about, tell me about bowling. How old were you when you did that? Um, I was in elementary school. What? Um, yeah. Who, who is, who is a competitive bowler in elementary school? I didn't know that This exists. is not competitive. This is like a, if there's a trophy, it was competitive. Uh, so this was, this trophy's particular was the Monday adult junior, 1997 ninth place. That's the one. That's why I brought this one. Congrats. Congrats. Um, yeah, no, thank you. Um, yeah, I mean, when I was in elementary school, it's one of the things I did with my father. It's one of the things I really remember. Uh, my father was getting sick, it's, you know, physically. Uh, but every Monday we would be in a father-son bowling league. And, uh, you know, so we, we would go and we would bowl and we would not be very good. We, I think we lost most of the time. Um, and then my mother, my mother and father were separated. Um, my mother would drop my father off at uh, his AA meetings. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I remember that specifically too because mm-hmm. I remember those guys, and I went to more than a few of those. Um, and I remember getting cherry coke at the bowling alley. My father mm-hmm. liked cherry Always. coke. Um, yeah, and this, those are the memories I have 
those are the strongest memories I have of my father. And, you know, the Mets are a big part of it. The bowling was obviously a big part of it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's one of those things I wish I had kept up with more because um, I was pretty good. I think you're, do- you're doing great. I oh, think no. you're, you're, you keep it, you keep up with it a lot. I think you keep up with with all of it a lot. Oh no, yeah, no, no. I mean, the, I mean the bowling specifically. I mean, I've really bowled more than a handful of times over the last 15, 20 years. Yeah, but you can do that until deep into retirement. Yeah, and it's not cheap anymore either. It's just, no, yeah, that's the thing. Like it used to be. Let's play two. Let's play a game. Oh, second game's uh, half price or whatever. Yeah, let's have another game, and then you wind up. Doing three or a few pitchers of beer. Now it's really kind of expensive. Yeah, it used to be like two bucks a game, yeah. or whatever. Or now it's like bowl is fucking. It's, it's like a, concert tickets to yeah. fucking yeah. go bowling. No, I mean that's a whole con. I talk about a lot this a lot on my show too. Is trying to figure out like good first date ideas mm-hmm. and like bowling. Great first, great idea. Ends up being a fifty dollar first date. Yeah. Uh, yeah. mini yeah. golf. Yeah, it's still cheap, but not as cheap as you as you'd like it to be. But yeah, I mean. Yeah, we're in a weird spot. Right. Well, I was when I was uh, just in LA. Uh, a good friend of mine had a birthday party at a roller rink, uh, which was completely terrifying. And also, I had ideas about what a roller rink was because roller rinks in Southern Connecticut are just like the shadiest, kind of nastiest. <laughs> the carpet is disgusting. It smells like stale beer. Like everybody who's in there is really trashy. The music is terrible. And this this was in Glendale, California, and the it was great. It was an amazing experience. And I, I actually got on roller skates for the first time since I was 10. And I used to love roller skating. Um, and I was terrible, but it felt it felt great to do that again. And I have to say, like, I'm not a very athletic person. Anybody who knows me knows that uh, I am just like woefully bad at sports and anything like that. But um, there's definitely something to be said for doing something physical that is unfamiliar to you and even though you're scared of it moving toward it which i think maybe a lot of kids did that more than i did you know especially especially boys but um but we don't really get to have that experience too much in adulthood of feeling something physical that is unfamiliar you know what i mean it really brings you right back to being a kid because you can't there's no more learning curve anymore you have to be yeah. an adult. You have to earn money. You have to do this. And, and you that. have to be an expert already at whatever yeah. you do. So you, I, I think that's going to be the nice part about millennials because I guess, unfortunately, guys, we're millennials. No, I am not. No, we're not. I'm sorry. Are we millennials? No, 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 I'm just earlier we're than that. We're upwards of 30, but we're not no, 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 Gen no, we're X's. Gen X. Yeah, I think we are Gen X, no? No, we're Gen Y. We're Gen Y? Yeah. yeah. Gen X is a Gen little older. Are we, are we Gen cool? Y not. <laughs> You're fired. Um, I'm thinking more clear Pepsi, but that's fine no, with me too. I don't think I'm a millennial because I think that I I think that I have a much more like analog mind because I I I, I relate more to the Reality Bites kids than to the Dawson's Creek kids. Oh yeah, 100%. do you know what I mean? So I think that puts me on the analog side of things. Yeah, but I'm saying I think we're post Gen X. I think failure is allowed at our age, or at least trying things new because you don't know what will click. Um, and I think w- us knowing that, or at least understanding that back in the day, adults, old people older than us weren't allowed to do what we're doing now as people in our thirties. Yeah, it's true. I think we're encouraged to try things and fail, but then once we fail, our parents are like, what, why stop wasting your yeah, time? Do you know? Sure. But we, I mean, for us, we should keep failing for ourselves. We should, we should keep learning. New things, or at least being well, agreed. off center. Agreed, and agreed, and I think that I, I, that was also what was so great about Burning Man 
side note here was that I felt because it's so huge and overwhelming and such an unfamiliar experience, I felt like a child in the way that you feel when you're lost in a grocery store and you can't find your parent, you know? And I think it's important to put yourself in that kind of a situation. And I don't know. I, in a way, I think that I think that we do that. I think that you do that, Dennis, as a person who has impromptu conversations with people, you know, as your livelihood. You don't know what's going to come out of it. Yeah. You know, when Phil and I get on stage to do this show live, I have no idea how it's going to go. It could fail miserably. We don't plan it out. And that's what the rush comes from. I call it in the ring. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Oh, so yeah, I want to talk about wrestling a little bit and its importance to you. Sure. Um, and and Phil will understand all the references and I will not, but I know <laughs> it was important to you and tell me why. Um, okay, that's a very broad question. Okay, when it? you were little, when you were little and you were first introduced to it. Okay. So, we talked about this with Jared Wilder as well. Okay, so yeah. I kind of want to do like, so I can do like a 45 minute ret- retrospective. I'm going to hold that off. <laughs> um, when I was a kid, um, like I said, my, my parents were separated. So I remember. And how old were they? Were you when that happened? Two. Very young. Little, little. Little. Okay. So I, I, don't, I never remember them only together. Child? Only child. Okay. I don't remember them together at all. Um, mm-hmm. But on the weekends, uh, I go to my father's house and my father, uh, my Grandmother passed away in 95, so I was like 10. Uh, but it was my, my father, his brothers, his two brothers, and my grandmother. And I just remember watching Saturday morning wrestling um, at my father's house. And it would be Hulk Hogan, Macho Man. And as a kid, it was all about Hulk Hogan. Because yeah. um, it's 1990, you know, around then. So Hulk Hogan was obviously still a big deal. I was too young for the initial run, but he was still the, the biggest guy. Yeah. My father loved the Macho Man. And I'm like, how can you love the Macho Man? He's such a <laughs> jerk. You know, yada yada. But now, as as an adult, I'm like my father was such a mark. He appreciated the Macho Man. Yeah. I'm like my dad knew what was up. Like I, I think that's yeah, amazing. Macho Man was my father really liked Macho Man too. I liked Hulk Hogan a little bit, but I was way more of a Roddy Piper fan for some reason. Um, be, just because he was kind of anti-authority and just kind of uh, very he, kind he was of, rowdy. He was rowdy, but he also <laughs> he, he went he went his own way. I don't think he was one of those guys that was like say your prayers, eat your vitamins. He was all like more self-serving. And he was a normal-looking dude. Yeah, he was, that's what six foot. He was also way less intimidating. It's just kind of why I liked him a lot. Um, <laughs> like Hulk Hogan kind of looked like a large hot dog. <laughs> and a very. Very buff yeah, and that that the stre- the stretch Armstrong toy, which we yeah. did have in my house, um, it it was kind of looked like a hot dog. I can't describe why, but it had that like meaty, fleshy, all the limbs you know you could yeah. pull on, and it. I mean, so so as a kid, like you know, six seven years old, like, that was obviously really important. Yeah, and then I lost it. You know, Hogan left. Um, yeah. you know, Bret Hart. You know, the, the, the transition. I got back into wrestling in 1996, 1997. Oh, so you got the. So I got oh, came back to like the NWO, just yeah. in time for high school. Attitude, attitude era. But I was watching more WCW. I mean this sincerely. Yes. The NWO was important, but I was a big fan of Chris Jericho as a 12, 13 year old. Chris Jericho, I'm going to send you clips, Lisa, because okay. I think you would appreciate him. Okay. He was doing like Spinal Tap references. Crazy stuff. Oh, amazing! Yeah. So he's a comedian. Yeah, he, he, he yeah. did. Yeah, I he did mean, comedy for a while. He, yeah. did, he did some improv. Um, he was a groundling. Yeah, for a time. Gr- yeah. Uh, I, you know what that that resonates with me because I I didn't like NWO and I wasn't an N- a WCW fan because I didn't like the gang mentality of NWO and that was happening in my school with like the skaters were just fucking assholes all the time and they reminded me of oh, Eric, I love how in your school the the, the skaters were the assholes yeah, <laughs> the skaters were like the peacekeepers no they school. were not they were the fucking skaters jumping were the ones kids who smoked and shit weed. they know they were. 
They were jumping kids, hitting them with their skateboard. Like they were what? like they were the heel t- uh, tag like <laughs> stable in my middle school. Yeah, New Jersey with man. their fucking jankos in there. Yeah, it was no. ridiculous because it was like we were a predominantly white town, but the hierarchy was like there's the German Irish, then the Irish, then the Italian Irish, then the Italian, and then and you were Italian. Yes, <laughs> and so within that you had your subsections. And the the main violent one were the skaters that hung out at the That's library. That's so weird. I think the whole point of like how the skaters were supposedly listening yeah, yeah, to yeah. reggae and chilling out. Yeah, they, they weren't really they weren't doing oh, that over and here. Um, <laughs> th- there were there were like true skaters and they were cool, but I I, I was poisoned. It, it it poisoned my perception. But to your point, Jericho at that time with all the gang stuff. Sorry, we we, we just insulted our our producer Kent. Sorry. <laughs> He's just silently. You have a 311 tattoo, Ken? Yeah, I'm Listen, sorry. That was one of my first MP3s down, down. was uh, Down by 311. It's a good MP3, bro. Yeah, dude. <laughs> um, so Jericho, so what I liked about Jericho is that he's a five foot ten, yeah. blonde Canadian. And I don't know why I'm falling in love with this good looking blonde, you know, muscular like Canadian guy. His hair's all up like... A, yeah, like join the ranks thing. of all the other women in the 80s and the kind of like men that they were looking at. So like that was where a lot of my comedic sensibility comes from, maybe even today. Like he was doing, he had, he had, a, a, he had Ralphus. Ralphus! So Wait, Ralphus was, Ralphus? so yeah. Ralphus is, was his security guy, which is just some one of the stage crew guys. Yeah. He was with five foot six, 280 pounds, wore a cutoff shirt. Like that showed his belly, oh, no. and the shirt said Jericho Personal Security JPS. So he'd follow him <laughs> to the ring. Um, he would talk crap about the other wrestlers, like. But he would, like I said, he did the Spinal Tap. Yeah. He did. Uh, he did like other music references. Yeah. I want you to want me. Even he was quoting Cheap Trick in the uh-huh. ring. And um, he, he was removed from the main, everything else. from everything else. And as a result, he didn't even get, he didn't get anything. Like they gave him nothing to work with. He kept calling out their number one guy, Goldberg. <laughs> he kept calling him out. And he, Goldberg would never show up. And then backstage, he was like, dude, stop doing that. Like, <laughs> yeah. And then he kicked his ass. Yeah. Then he kicked his ass. Jericho kicked his ass. So he was sort of an, an underdog himself. Yeah. Sort of yeah like absolutely. doing whatever the heck he wanted. So that's a great yeah. role model. And even when he got to the big stage and we got to WWE, he was still an underdog. Yeah. I mean, he still is now. But he's always. Even now, yeah. He's always. I, I yeah respect him because he's everything that you shouldn't be as a wrestler. Uh, yeah. And more. But it was just successful anyway. Oh, yeah. One of the so, best. So, okay. So, you spend your whole life, like, looking up to this man. Yeah. And very, very recently, just a couple of months ago, your paths cross. Yeah. And you get to interview him. So, how does that feel? Yeah. It's something that's still surreal to me. Like, I, I don't know how to express it. Like... Uh, my buddy, my buddy was the one who kind of helped me put it together. He's kind of friendly with Jericho, and he's like, you know, I, I keep talking you up to him. I'm like, don't make Jericho hate me before he even <laughs> knows who I am. Uh, so you know, this has been in the works for a couple of years, and then eventually he's like, hey, what are you doing on whatever day, like yeah. Monday? I'm like, I don't know, what's up? It's like I got Jericho for you, and I'm like, holy crap. <laughs> And I didn't know I didn't know what to do. I mean, so I started off at the Groundlings. I'm like, I want to I want the interview to be something that he hasn't done before. Right. Said, well, because he's been everybody asks the same questions. Yeah. yeah. So I'm like, I'm gonna start off the Groundlings because like, I had uh, Gary Austin, founder of the Groundlings, on my show, mm-hmm. and he was great. So I'm like, I'm gonna ask about the Groundlings, ask a couple other questions, and see how it goes. It went, it gave me half an hour. Mm-hmm. Uh, it went better than I thought it did. I, like I thought I asked a couple of questions that he didn't respond well to, but he responded fine. Mm-hmm. But just my own. Or whatever, of nervous, course. fretful insecurities. Um, but it's still one of the things I'm most proud of um, in so many different ways. Because 
Because didn't you feel like your kidness like suddenly bubbled up to the surface oh, and all absolutely. the excitement that you had when you were that age was suddenly back in your body? So uh, uh, someone I'm friendly with just was, who's on the radio got to talk to their favorite baseball player and she literally said, I am a, f- a huge fan of yours or you're, you know, it's just something yeah. like that. And I'm like, I kind of wanted to say that to Jericho, but I don't, I don't know if I said that. I might have. But like he was like, he's the guy for me, not even just as a wrestler, but just as a as a person, um, as a as a life career kind of goal kind of thing. And what he represents to you in terms of like your relationship with your father and these beautiful memories you have from when you were when you Absolutely. were little. Absolutely, I, I think I'm a pretty transparent person. I think if you ask anyone. Um, you know, well now if you ask people in the community, they know Dennis has a podcast, even if they don't know me, yeah, which um, is great, which is great and terrifying in a lot of ways. Um, but you know, but, but if you ask people who know me or know me peripherally, you know, Billy Joel, John Mayer, uh, you know, John mm-hmm. Cusack, uh, and Chris Jericho, Love like, John Cusack. so if you ask people, like, even in the wrestling Facebook group we're in, I think people know, uh, even if they don't know who I am, <laughs> I am obsessed with Jericho. Like he's my dude. And Tony Danza. And Tony, yeah, how can I forget One Tony Danza? One of the best Danza? wrestlers of all time. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to get him one day. I, I, one day. On. I know yeah. you are. Hashtag Danza on DHAP. We'll, we're going to make this <laughs> Uh, Dana Krashen has been uh, a, a big champion, championer of that. So thank uh, well, you to her. Well, she sets her mind to something. Yeah. Oh God, she, knows she makes it happen. Like I'm, I, I'm terrified of group thing, but with her, and no, I'm still terrified of it. But I respect the hell out of it because, like, I don't know how the. I mean, God bless her. Yeah. She's yeah. Amazing. Incredible. Incredible. Absolutely. So, um, we were actually talking about yearbooks on a recent on a recent episode here, and how serious and important they were to us. Um, did you feel like this senior yearbook, and you graduated the year after I did, this looks very, very similar to what mine looked like. Mm. Um, was it uh, was it a really momentous time for you? Or did you not really give a crap? Because I feel like a lot of weight is put on these yearbooks. Yeah, I mean, you know, looking back on it, like I have all these different um, shout outs to different people. And, you know, there were people I knew, but I didn't care much about. Like if I could have just have it be relatively blank, I probably would have done that. But they that. made you fill a space. Yeah, they made you fill a space. So, you know, I had these peripheral relationships that I, you know, made shout outs to. I was editor of my high school yearbook. You know, I had some other people I was friendly with. I gave a nice shout out to my grandmother and my mother. Oh, so And you- my stepfather and my dad. So I gave a little shout out to them. Um, yeah, so I mean, I gave out the shout outs. But what me- m- means the most to me yeah. now, again, then I didn't care. So that's why, that's why I put the sports stuff at the bottom. My three quotes, which I like, again, mm-hmm. sports related. Uh, well, so 100% of the shots you don't take don't go in. Wayne Gretzky. Mm-hmm. That's one you hear a lot now. That was on The Office a couple years ago. Mm-hmm. Great one. In three words, I could sum up everything I've learned in life. It goes on. Robert Frost. God, that, and got to say, I, there was a lot of Robert Frost quoted in my diaries over time. Yeah. Like The Road Not Taken was quoted three or four times in one diary. And that was before she read them. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, so that was one that's like, you yeah. know, and then uh, Billy Joel, uh, every year is a souvenir that slowly fades away. Again, that's relatively dark stuff for a 17-year-old yeah. kid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, that's, you know, that's kind of how you, you roll when you're, when you don't think you're going to live to 30, those are the quotes that you Gosh, I didn't think about, about. So you had to So cre- you had to create this, whatever you were going to write. They gave you a box. Yeah. And it was bef- and it was right before you found out that you didn't It was about 18 months probably before uh, I found out. 50% epitaph. Yeah, no essentially, way. yeah. Wow. I mean, yeah, so that's kind of the thing where it's like, you know, because I, I thought about this stuff. Like, I didn't think about college. I went to college yeah. um, because everyone else went to college. And right. like six weeks in, halfway through the semester, um, 
you know, I, I'm like, I just, I can't do this. Because mm-hmm. I, uh, I eventually stopped going to class. The, the friends that I had made, um, <laughs> there was a failed relationship there, and that kind of messed up my group of friends. Um, and I just wasn't mentally prepared for it. I mean, like, I was smart enough. That wasn't the problem. It's just emotionally wasn't ready so for did it. You, did you drop out? Oh, yeah. So I, so I went to UConn for like half a semester. I had no idea. Yeah. I went to UConn for about half a semester, and then... Spent about eight months not really doing anything. Mm-hmm. Back in Yonkers, um, or you were still in stores? Uh, back with, no, back with my folks. Um, I was living in Dallas Ferry. Um, and then for about a year and a half, I worked at Starbucks. Um, I started there about September 20, uh, 2003. Mm-hmm. My father passed away in September 2004. Um, and that's when I knew mm-hmm. that I needed to do something else. Yeah. Um, I was doing well. They made me a shift manager. Um, I was thinking about becoming an assistant manager. And at 20, I'm like, I don't want to work at Starbucks for the rest of my life. Mm. Uh, little did I know the money I was making then was you know, more than I would make until recently. Wow. Um, so that's, yeah, which is a whole other thing. Uh, but then in uh, January 2005, I started college. And I pretty much went straight through to my master's in May 2011. Oh, so I was in college back. for six years. Yeah, I was in college for six years. Yeah. What do you have your master's in? Uh, school counseling. Oh, how amazing. Yeah. So you're doing exactly what you should be doing. Right. Well, that's what I'm trying to figure out right now. Like, right as we record this, I'm trying to figure out what my next step is. Um, I just left a, I left a job and I'm trying to find the next job. And I don't know if I wanted to be in, I've been working for nonprofit education mm-hmm. uh, the last like eight years or so in one capacity or another. And, and nonprofits don't pay. And it's, I don't do it for pay, but at some point I want to you know, have some autonomy. Yeah, Yeah, that'd be great. I know. Well, that's a generational thing for sure. That's a generational thing that we do have in common with millennials, I think. Yeah. People are just expecting not to have financial freedom. Well, that's everybody. It's not just millennials. It's, it's, It's people older than us, people our age, everybody just generally feeling uh, bent over in that they're just not going to be there's the, why, why have two jobs when you can have three, three exactly. and, then, yeah. and then survive? Yeah. Well, that's where, that's where I'm at now. I'm trying to look out into the abyss. Like, I've been trying to get, you know, I have an actor resume up now. I've been doing some stuff with that. Um, and I actually just got a call for a gig. Uh, hopefully that I'll be able to do in the next little bit. So I'm trying some acting stuff. I'm trying to make more money off the podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, taking steps to make that happen. Um, I feel like the, my ability is there to do something. Uh, with that, but it's hard, man. It's really, it really is. So, like the last year and a half of doing this and doing stand up for the last two and a half years, like doing this, I had a show at the pit in January, and that was like the greatest thing that's ever happened to me um, professionally with this is because why the hell, why, why was I at the pit? Like, why was that a thing that happened? I'm not an improviser, I'm not a good comedian. Um, but we did the show there, Stop. and it was no, but, but, but we did the show there, and it was great. And people showed up and it was a thing. And then I was able to do the improv fest and that was crazy. Um, and it's, I keep getting these opportunities and, you know, it, it, it's the kind of thing that I think, I know you struggle with as well. And we've talked about, um, candidly, you know, off air uh, enough times where it's just like, you know, you got to be real with yourself at some point, but you also you have to be real when you're doing well as well. And that's difficult. It is. It is. Especially if you've been struggling with depression your whole life, it's like you, you kind of are afraid to have positive thoughts because you know that, that around the corner they're going to crash. Do you know what I mean? But, right. but, but why, why shouldn't we revel in that positivity just as much as we revel in the negativity? You know, that's a question that I ask myself. And I tell you it's okay. 
I know. That's why. You're and it's born. not there. The negativity is not there. Yeah. And you know what I mean? Like, for, and it, for me, I am lucky. Like, I think that my reputation in our community is pretty good. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I, I think, and I'm proud of that. I, you know, I'm happy with that. And I think most of the negati- negativity comes within. It comes from fear. The fear of, 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 you know, just doing things. Yeah. But I, but I, I will bring it back to when you were younger and, and note that I think that you're, you're being forced to confront extremely terrifying things mm-hmm. about your own future, you know, and your own mortality allow you to, to, to counsel people. I think that's what you do in your podcast. Right. And I think that. That if you hadn't had to go through all that pain with you know with your dad and with your your own self and and the questions of like what what's going to happen to me if you hadn't had to go, go through that you'd be in a much different place right now you might be a manager at Starbucks yeah who knows but I think the the lack of fear is a good thing and a bad thing it's a good thing and a bad thing yeah uh, because if you're not afraid of anything there's no impetus to you know make the leap you know what I mean that's what I'm trying to struggle with right now too is that like I'm not really scared of Failing, but I'm also not scared of not failing. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like I'm in a stasis that I'm like, ah, screw need it. I just the, need to. I need to kick yeah. in the ass. I need the fear for for when I do things. I need to. I need to feel that I'm going to fail, or feel that I'm going to not amount. Yeah, to but much. what if, like, we actually found this place of like contentment and, and homeostasis? That's you know, and no, it's not. It's that's what that's what the Zen masters do. And you know what they. Don't aspire to like the crazy heights that we all do as artists. They are completely content going about their day with the basics. Making a sandwich, taking a shower, going for a walk. They're completely fulfilled and happy. I know I can't either, but yeah. that's why that's why we're artists. Yeah. So why aspire for that? But I think that you're <laughs> I think that your calling is is within council and you are at a very different place than a lot of kids, a lot of people. Uh, because you saw death looming uh, sooner than, uh, uh, or just that sort of decay looming fe- sooner than a lot of people. Right. And so that forced you to confront um, uh, just a lot of thoughts that a lot of kids your age probably wouldn't have had. And that's what I'm trying to use even now. Um, trying to use it to, uh, as inspiration as and as, as an impetus to do yeah. things. Um, my father passed away when he was 44. My uh, my uncle Jim passed away when he was a little bit younger than that. Um, also Huntington's? Alton Huntington's. I've lost three uncles. Wow. Uh, two uncles um, and my father to Huntington's. Uh, a couple of my aunts have it. Um, one of my cousins has it. Um, yeah, it's a really, it, maybe even more than that. Um, for a, a variety of reasons, I don't really talk to that side of the family anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it's just one of those things that I had a 50-50 chance of having this disease and dying young. I didn't have it. It's a coin flip. Yeah. And that's really insane when you think of that. But I don't think of it as a coin flip. I don't think it's an accident at all because I don't think anything is an accident. Sure. And uh, so you're still here. Right. So you were on the right side of the coin flip. So it's like, what are you going to do with that? Yeah, and that's what I ask myself every day. That's what I'm trying to it's figure out. It's a lot of pressure. It's a lot of damn pressure. It's an important question too. Yeah. So, and But that's the thing. Like I, I'm, I'm trying to figure that out. So that's where I'm at now, more so than I've been recently. Um, and, you know, I haven't been doing as much stand-up and... You know, I don't, I really do it maybe more for networking than actually want for the art of it. And so I'm like, you know, I want to do some acting stuff. I'm going to do some acting stuff. I want to do some hosting stuff. I'm going to do some hosting stuff. Um, And I'm just going to be more proactive about it because, 
you know, I've been a little too passive. And I think Yeah, but the, the point is, you know that the power lies within yourself. Because you talk to a lot of actors, a lot yeah. of comics, and they're like, well, I'm just waiting for X, Y, or Z to happen to me. But mm. you don't ever do that. You just go for it. Yeah, I need to do, I need to do it more. That's kind of where I'm at. I need to do Because no one's going to... And I'm not telling you anything you don't know. Um, yeah, but you're, you're here recording with us on a Saturday, so yeah. you're going above and beyond. It, yeah, I'm right. I'm going to look at myself a uh, Diet Coke and I... Uh, Live it up. Live spoil <laughs> yourself. Um, well, Dennis, um, I have a gift for you, as we always do. Oh, very nice. It's from my um, my old, uh, very old collection of pens and pencils. Oh, I have nice. like, drawers and drawers full of them. I would have brought you a D-hat pen if I would have known. That's okay. I'll take it in the future. There you go. Um, this pen looks like a spear of asparagus. Nice. <laughs> I believe it still works. It also kind of looks like a like a superhero. Yeah. Like it looks like a... A trident. You, a yeah. trident or something you throw at somebody to stab them. Uh, this is for you. For Thank all you of your much. future explorations, I'm pretty sure it still works. Yeah, just don't smell the ink. What? Oh, ha, 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 ha. So that was a little bit of a, that was a little too That was an asparagus Sorry. joke. It was an asparagus making uh, a pee funny <laughs> joke. It's, it smells in your pee. Now, now all I want to do is smell the pen. Don't smell, <laughs> there's nothing in there. That's, but, that's yeah. like the, the Spinal Tap album is called Smell <laughs> the Glove. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Smell the pen, Dennis. Um, well, Dennis, um, where can people where can people find you if they want to listen to DHAP? If you go to dhapshow.com, not DAP, not D, D, it's DHAP. Yeah. It's so funny when I do other stuff, they're like, and I'm like, no, it's it's not DHAP. DHAP, it's so easy. It's very easy. Very easy. Uh, so dhapshow.com, and that'll pull you to Facebook and Instagram, and I'm on Snapchat now, which I'm having a lot of fun with. Oh, I haven't, I haven't. It's been Delve fun. Into it yet. I, 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 as we record this, I am a uh, four days into a, uh, a lip syncing thing. So every day, I'm picking a song, and I am lip syncing to it on Snapchat. So yesterday That's we're great. singing in the rain because it rained in New York. See, you're 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 making projects all the time. Why the hell not? It's great. Yeah. So check out the podcast. We've had you on a couple times. Yeah, a couple a times. times. Yeah. I've been on once. Yeah, but yep. you know. There it's was, a great time. Dennis, yeah, I, I if, you have a, if you have the opportunity to meet Dennis, you should meet him. He's a great guy to talk to. And, uh, yes. Thanks for, thanks for sitting in the bitch seat, thanks Dennis. For, Dennis oh, Walden. Wow. Wait, this is, wait, this is the bitch you're seat? In the you're seat. in the bitch seat right now. Oh, is this like the middle? Is this is like the, supposed to be the middle seat of the... Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's the whole thing. Okay. That's where it is. That's the middle right. seat. All yeah. right. Uh, no, I was trying, I'm coming down here. I'm like, I don't know how to explain the bitch seat to people, but like... <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it. it's the middle seat in the yeah. back of the car. It's not about bitching, and it's not about being a bitch. Because I'm like, no, because you're a very nice person, and you're not really, a, you know, so I'm like, why is this called the bitch? Because I, I, you know. You're in the bitch seat. Now I am. Because we're squeezing all of the, uh, very, all the vulnerability out of you. It's a vulnerable seat, because you never want to be in the middle. Because you know, probably there could be there. people on both sides of yeah. you who are elbowing you or who smell it's bad. It's just like a waist seat belt. It's oh. not like the full shoulder one. Which I, I so if the car parts. crashes, you're going through the front yeah. the shield. See, but see, I, when I was a kid, I was tall. So I appreciated being in the middle so I can kind of like manspread into like oh, my, so put my feet under. Oh, so you took over other people's. You took back the bitch seat. Because I'm a big human being. He claimed it. Listen, if people want to mess with me, I, I, I've been, I've been in like one fight. Exactly. No, listen, yeah. people are too afraid to even mess. I respect. No, you're a, you're a gentle giant. Yes. I do what I can. Dennis well, won. Yeah. Goldberg zero. <laughs> Dennis Holden, everybody. Yes. Uh, thanks for listening. And as always, you can um, find this podcast on Google Play or on iTunes. Leave us a review. Um, check out our Twitter feed at the underscore bitch underscore seat. Or the website is lissamandel.com slash the dash bitch dash seat or just the bitch seat podcast.com right and uh i'm on uh atlas is a person 
at Phil Casal and on uh, Twitter. Remember, uh, treasure what got you here, guys. And honor your journey. <laughs> Attention Springwood, my name is Josh Krebs. And I'm Liz Richards. And we're the hosts of Bloody Date Night. So Josh and I have been dating for four years, and Josh loves horror movies, and I hate them. Yeah, so each episode we go through the horror movie franchise canon to watch an episode and then meet up and we discuss it together. And so far it's been going pretty well, right Liz? I think it's gone pretty well so far. Yeah, each episode I try to see how far I can push Liz to watch a really good horror movie until she basically leaves me and it hasn't worked yet. Not yet. And it's awesome because you're the Tatum to my Sydney. You're sweet. And here's a clip from one of our recent episodes. Hello, I'm Exposition. Hey, let me t- let me tell you what just happened. There's a break-in at this costume store. Somebody stole some ropes, some knives. Somebody stole a mask. They stole $250. <laughs> they scared a cat. They took two boas. They took two boas. Two feather boas, one uh, set of angel wings. It's one of those goddamn... They're probably having a burlesque. <laughs> probably doing a burlesque show later. I don't know. Oh, uh, Haddonfield. What isn't happening? <laughs> Haddonfield's first burlesque <laughs> club. That'd be amazing. I would love that. Um, the Lacey Pumpkin. The Lacey... Ooh. This has been an Atlantic Transmission production. Hey!